Today on Blue 58, we preview the Packers' next opponent, John Gruden, and also the Oakland Raiders. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode, a preview episode, a preview episode that's going to be slightly different uh, from the other ones that we've done so far this season. We're tweaking the formula a little bit. Haven't really liked how the preview podcast has been coming out, so we're going to do things a little bit differently. I want to look kind of position group by position group at the Packers opponent. I'm not, I think we know the Packers pretty well, so I want to focus these more on the team the Packers are actually playing against. I think that's more valuable to you, the listener, going into this game. It might give you some things to think about, and it's more interesting for me because, like I said, I think we know the Packers pretty well. And I think as we look at these uh, position group by position group previews, we'll be able to figure out a little bit about how the Packers might match up with their opponents. So, the Raiders coming in at three and two. They're second behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who the Packers will play next week in the AFC West. The Raiders played in London two weeks ago, so they had last week off as a result. The Packers are in an unusual stretch here as far as playing teams coming off buys and or mini buys. They had the Lions coming off a buy. They have the Raiders coming off a bye, but it's with the caveat of having just played in London, so I think that mitigates the effect a little bit there. And then they play the Chiefs next week, who are playing on Thursday night this week, so they are going to be well-rested too. So far this year, the Raiders' best win this season has been their 24-21 victory over the Chicago Bears in London. So much, so much for the Khalil Mack revenge game. Their worst loss also coming uh, in a game against an NFC North opponent. They got sh- uh, shredded by the Vikings in Week 3, 34-14. Just as a side note, the Vikings are good. Uh, this is, this is going to be a problem for the Packers at some point this year. The Vikings are, are going to be a problem towards the end of the season. But this is about the Raiders, not the Vikings. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Offense, it all starts with the quarterback. Derek Carr is having a pretty efficient season so far. Just three, or just six touchdowns against three interceptions, but he is completing 73% of his passes so far this year. I would describe him kind of as a super game manager right now. He's not making big mistakes. He's completing passes, and he's putting his playmakers in position uh, to do good things once they've got the ball in their hands. And to that point, more of his yards have come after the receivers have made their catches than before. His receivers are doing a lot of the work for him. That's not a bad thing. If that's how your offense works and it's working for you, more power to you. And the Raiders are 3-2 and two so far. Carr and the Raiders are also getting some pretty decent help from running back Josh Jacobs. He's the real focal point of their offensive attack so far, along with tight end Darren Waller, who we'll get to in a second. Jacobs is averaging a very healthy 4.9 yards per carry so far this year on 88 carries. He was taken this spring with one of the picks from the Khalil Mack trade. Biggish dude, 5'10", 220 pounds. We'll talk more about him in a second. As far as who Derek Carr and the Raiders are throwing their passes to, it's tight ends everywhere for the Raiders, all over the place. Of their top four pass catchers so far this year, three of them have been tight ends, and Darren Waller is the main dude among those tight ends. He's got 37 catches so far this year for 359 yards, no touchdowns so far, but we won't hold that against him. That's a pretty good stat line for a tight end. Waller is a converted wide receiver, 6'6", 238, ran a 4.46 coming out of Georgia Tech, and was pretty much a non-factor in his career to date. He had 18 receptions in three seasons prior to this year. 
Now, 37 in, what is it, five games so far counting the bye. This is noteworthy, I think, for the Packers because they've had their share of struggles against the tight end they've faced so far this year. A matchup to watch, to be sure. The only wide receiver in the Raiders' top four pass catchers is Tyrell Williams. He's dealing with one of those nasty list Frank injuries. Uh, that uh, very, very painful thing that you deal with in the uh, the arch of your foot. He's probably going to be a no-go for this week. So don't worry necessarily about Tyrell Williams, but uh, he is the only receiver of note at the top end of their statistical charts right now. The offensive line is doing pretty well for the Raiders, and that's been kind of a, a hallmark of uh, the Gruden Gruden era so far. He wanted kind of an old school team. Maul you up front with a, a big heavy offensive line, do the dirty work in the trenches, and win, I guess, with power is, is what you would say. Power versus finesse is kind of a fake comparison in the NFL. There's a lot of power in the finesse and a lot of finesse in the power. But you, you talk about Gruden's attack being a brute force sort of thing, and I think you kind of get the get the feel of it there. And the offensive line is holding up their end of the bargain. They are number six in ESPN's pass block win rate, so they're not getting giving up pressure on Derek Carr. What that means is 63% of the time, on 63% of dropbacks, they are not letting a pass rusher get within a yard of Derek Carr in two and a half seconds or less. That's what ESPN qualifies as a pressure. For comparison, the Packers are at number three in the NFL. Their win rate is 66%. So two pretty good pass blocking offensive lines. The Raiders' offensive line also ranks very highly in football outsiders' run-based stats. They are number three in their uh, adjusted line yards stat, meaning they are responsible for quite a few of the rushing attacks offensive lines. Less the running back, more the offensive line, though you shouldn't discount Josh Jacobs for reasons we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Switching over to defense, let's start up front with the defensive line. They are also playing pretty well, according to Football Outsiders. They are top 10 against the run. And this is going to sound super inside baseball, but I think this is the only way I can I can really describe it. It looks, from an outsider's perspective, that the Raiders are, are working with a pretty classic like late 90s, early 2000s defensive tackle combo. They've got one really huge dude and one classic three-technique defensive tackle. So you've got a big space eater in Jonathan Hankins. He's six foot three, 340 pounds. And you've got Maurice Hurst, a smaller, quicker defensive tackle who's going to be lining up at or near the outside shoulder of the guard most of the time, 6'2", 290 pounds. That's a pretty good combo if you can get that working, and that works in a 4-3 defense pretty well. They are freeing up some space on the outside for pass, pass rusher Benson Mayoa, who leads the Raiders with four and a half sacks so far this year. In their linebacking group, I can't claim to be anything resembling an expert's peer uh, here, but the Raiders do not seem to have any super noteworthy names we need to talk about at linebacker, save for one that Packers fans should probably recognize. To your Whitehead, he played six years with the Detroit Lions before, before joining the John Gruden experience last year. Uh, among their defensive backs, I think our ball hawk stat, uh, which we refer to on the podcast and the blog fairly frequently, gives us a good comparison point between how the Packers are performing and how other defensive back groups are performing. 
To that end, so far this year, the Packers have four defensive backs with four or more ball hawks. And to remind you, a ball hawk is essentially a play on the ball. You get one for an interception, a pass defensed, a fumble forced, or a sack. And the Packers have four defensive backs so far this year with four or more, including Jair Alexander and Kevin King, who both have more than 10. Now, the Raiders only have three defensive backs who have hit three so far. In short, at least in the back end of their secondary and really in their defense as a whole, the Raiders have not done a great job of getting their hands on the football this year. Circling back to offense, my player to watch for the Raiders is Josh Jacobs, the latest in a long string of Alabama running backs. He's not like an overwhelming athlete, but he's a pretty good one too. And he plays, I think more importantly, to his measurables. You'd think a 5'10", 220-pound running back would be a physical runner, and he is that. According to Pro Football Reference, 246 of his 430 yards this year have come after contact. That's 57% of his yards. He's averaging 2.8 yards per contact after contact per carry. That's pretty incredible. For comparison's sake, Aaron Jones has only managed 33% of his yards this year after contact, which is what you'd expect, I think, from a smaller back. But even Jamal Williams has not really compared to Josh Jacobs. Just 57 of his 191 rushing yards so far this year, or 27%, have come after contact. And given what we know about the Raiders' offensive line, I think it's it's fair to say that they're getting space for Josh Jacobs, and then he's creating more for himself. That is something to watch, I think, given the Packers' problems against the run. The last time the Packers and Raiders played was all the way back in 2015, December 20th of that year, to be precise. And I think just about everybody involved in this game should be fired for crimes against enjoyable football. Yes, it was a 30-20 to 20 Packers win, but it has to be about the most boring game in which 50 or more total points were scores. scored. Do you like field goals? There were five of them. Do you like fullback touchdowns? We had one of those. Do you like defensive touchdowns? Demarius Randall had one, which almost makes it seem like it shouldn't count. Do you love poor quarterback play? Well, this is the game for you. Both Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr had passer ratings under 70 that day. And despite throwing 86 combined passes, they weren't able to break 500 yards together. Their combined passer rating was 66.04. Combined, Carr and Rodgers were 45 of 86 for 480 yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions. Uh, No thank you. We will move on from that one. So what do we think in this one? I would like to say that the Packers just come out and handle this one, and I think if you really put it to me, that's probably what's going to happen. But there's a part of me that thinks this feels like a pretty classic trap game. There's a lot of factors working that direction. The Packers are playing at home. They are considerable favorites. And they should win even if they're not favorites. They're coming off something of an emotional win. They're playing on a short week. And they've got a big primetime game against the Kansas City Chiefs coming up next week. If there are any circumstances that would lead you to believe the Packers might come out a little bit flat, It's some combination of stuff like that, right? This is going to be a big test for Lafleur and the coaching staff to see if they can overcome those kinds of circumstances, to take care of business in a game that they should win. And I think all the evidence so far this year points to them being able to do just that. 
we're probably due for something of a market correction on the Packers at some point. At some point this year, they're going to lose a game that they are favored in and should win. I don't think that's this week. I will take the Packers 27, Raiders 14, a convincing win for the Packers at home. While I've got you here, I would like to talk for a second about Ryan Grant. No, not that one. Not the one that the Packers signed this week. I'm talking original recipe, Ryan Grant. In his career with the Packers, he had 12 100-yard games. And in those games, Green Bay was 10-2. and When Ryan Grant did well, the Green Bay Packers did well. Of those 12 games, I think the best was his 156-yard outburst in 2007. And this is a fun game to look at because it feels a little bit like looking at a fossil. Ryan Grant touched the ball 31 times that day, but only two of those 31 touches were catches. Almost all of his work came on the ground. He was a true running back that day. And the Packers won thanks in large part to those efforts. 38-7 to was the final score, powered by those 156 yards by Ryan Grant on the ground. And their opponent that day, the Oakland Raiders. That's all I've got for you in this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We'll hopefully be checking in with you after another Packers win this weekend. I do appreciate each and every one of you checking in, win, lose, or draw. If you like what you heard and want to support us, the best way to do that is by leaving a rating and a review on the podcast listening app of your choice. That does help more people find the show. Leaving some financial support is another option there, too. Check out patreon.com slash thepowersweep for some options for support there. You can also check out our fine t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, reach out in whatever medium you choose. We do appreciate the time everybody takes to reach out. And every feedback you give us, every bit of feedback, every question, every thought helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better, which pushes along our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.